Asylum, aka Mary. I'm a Lebanese Aboriginal bisexual woman. Hello, I'm Dorian Hawk, aka Daya. I'm an Indonesian Pakistani non-binary lesbian. We are two writers who love movies, television, and books, especially when they're gay. And welcome to Gay V Club, where we'll be analyzing LGBT texts that we like, that we don't like, and how we relate to these texts as gay people of color. We are doing the first of our Shakespeare series today, and we thought we'd start off... I think this is a very accessible play to start mm-hmm. off with. If you don't like Shakespeare, come watch this and still enjoy it. We are looking at Much Ado About Nothing. The reason that we wanted to do this series is because... Shakespeare... Or like, this series of episodes... Is because Shakespeare couldn't write a straight character to save his life. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about compulsory heterosexuality mm-hmm. and queer subtext in Much Ado About Nothing, yes. which is a comedy by Shakespeare from the late 16th century where two dumbass bisexuals named Beatrice and Benedict are tricked into realising they're in love with each other. My OTP forever. So today we're going to be talking about bisexuality. You know, there's always bisexuality in Shakespeare Mm -hmm. because he was a bisexual, a bisexual menace, some might say. So yeah, just general queer subtext Mm -hmm. in this play. But also looking at a bit of misogyny and looking at how all these themes are looked at or not looked at in adaptations. Yes. Interestingly enough, there aren't as many adaptations of this play as you'd think. No, not not like screen adaptations, I mean. No, it's performed a lot. It's not... uh, uh, got as many adaptions as, say, Romeo and Juliet or even Hamlet. Hamlet. My boy. Your boy. But we are going to be focusing around the theme of compulsory heterosexuality. Daya, if you would like to start us off with the definition of compet, that would be lovely. So compulsory heterosexuality is the idea that heterosexuality is assumed and enforced by a patriarchal and heteronormative society. It was popularised in 1980 by lesbian activist poet and essayist Adrian Rich. These days, it is used quite casually as kind of like a synonym for heteronormativity. Mm. And um, I'm definitely guilty of this. I know on this podcast, I've used the phrase compet to describe any kind of knee-jerk impulses of attraction or other heteronormative behaviours like instilled within us. But, but it's really not. But it's actually like, it's very much the societal yeah. level yeah. of like how nearly everything in society works to make you adhere mm-hmm. to I think like in the past few years people have started kind of using it to describe the pers- on a personal level this episode we're going to talk about mostly the, yeah, the but macro it, but level it was actually designed as a more, more institutionalized like term I believe yes. in, in order to talk about how everything around you like mm. conspires as an institutional phenomenon yeah to make you believe and adhere to a heterosexual paradigm you feel that pressure and even people who I've, I've spoken to people who have been have been very comfortable in their identity, like LGBT identity, for a very long time, but still experience feelings of guilt. There are many factors to compet, such as evolutionary theory and religion, but today we want to focus on the big one, which is manifestations of male power. There was an anthropologist named Kathleen Goff, and she said that male power is characterized mostly by rejecting women's sexuality, forcing male sexuality on women, Mm -hmm. exploiting women's labor, objectification, and just general, like, denying women of any creativity, education, knowledge, or the opportunity to have, like, any kind of cultural achievements. Yeah, so we think Much Ado is excellent because it demonstrates a very clear understanding of this through its exploration of gender roles, but we also think that you can gain a lot more understanding, I think, of the play when you consider the possibility that certain characters are queer. And that's why they're so against actually getting Mm. married. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of adaptations do look at this, whether they do it intentionally or unintentionally, because obviously I think this is a a part of the play. Even if Shakespeare... It's an intrinsic part of the play. You can't separate it. Yeah, even if Shakespeare didn't have the I mean, some people do manage to, Mm. but I'll get to But yeah, we will be looking at all these different adaptations, but the main ones we'll be looking at are... Kenneth Brenow's, is it 1990? 1993. Yep. 19... Version of Much Ado, starring he himself, of course, Emma Thompson. Keanu Reeves. Keanu. And Den- Denzel. Denzel. Mm. Denzel, he looks so good in that movie. He does. I'm not a Denzel person, but that film, I'm like, I see it. I know what people mean. You His know? eyes are so sparkly. I know. Yeah. He's just glowing. Yeah. They're all glowing. The compet jumps out of me. <laughs> <laughs> And then the other version we'll be talking about is the 2011, it's not? It's a production by Josie Rourke. It's a staged production and it stars Catherine Tate as Beatrice and David Tennant as Benedict. 
I was going to briefly talk about the Joss Whedon version from 2012, but I have since decided to not do that because I don't think he does anything interesting. The other version we'll be looking at, it's actually become like in my top three versions of Much Ado, the 2019 Central Park performance of Much Ado that featured an all-black American cast and starred Daniel Brooks as Beatrice and Grantham Coleman as Benedict, and they're just so funny. Like, they are hilarious. So, yeah, they're the three main versions. So, the 1993 version. 2011, and... And I will also briefly mention a stage performance I saw in Sydney last year because Mm -hmm. this is something I want to bring up. But I don't really... I just generally talk about it because, obviously, no one can go and watch that. Another reason that I wanted to do Shakespeare is even though... Film and TV and books are a lot more accessible. A lot of LGBT stories do thrive and begin in the theatre. And theatre culture is inherently gay. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, if you ever do get the opportunity to go see Much Ado, go do it because it's a great play. It's actually just funny. And even if you don't see any of the subtext, like, it's still just a Maybe you will see it after we've spoken about it. Maybe you will see it. But even if you don't, like, it's just a really fun... Like, this was one of the first Shakespeare plays I saw that I really actually enjoyed. I think it's really good in that way because it is so accessible because it is quite a simple story. Like, I believe this play became the basis of a lot of, like, rom-coms and things. The original rom-com. is the OG. Let's start off with our first bisexual disaster. I wouldn't call her a disaster, though. I'd say she's very functional. She's actually, yeah, she's yeah, a she's high-functioning a- bisexual. <laughs> <laughs> the functional bisexual Beatrice. <laughs> That's going to be the name of my autobiography. The functional bisexual. You think you're functional? Please. Oh, <laughs> ouch. Ouch. <laughs> so Beatrice is, would you call her the heroine? I would call her the heroine. Mm. Uh, she is the heroine or main female lead, I guess you could yes. say, of Much Ado. She very much rails against the whole idea of marriage, of men in general. Yeah. One of like her key rants is when she goes on about how she finds no men appealing whatsoever. So many lines like, I had rather hear my dog bark at a crow than a man swear he loves me. And it's really more the idea of a man loving her that she like completely just finds disgusting. Mm-hmm. Like she's Mostly just... because she kind of just thinks it's impossible. She doesn't believe in romance with men because nope. what's romantic about being oppressed by male power? No. Nope. And she's definitely surrounded with this. Like she lives with her cousin Hero and her uncle, Leonardo. The way that Leonardo enforces combat on Hero is it would you know. be hard to grow up around hearing how she must get married and how mm-hmm. she must do this. So at the beginning of the play, Hero, she gets a little bit smitten, apparently, with Claudio. Uh, Why would one you? Of the, one, sure. of, one of the soldiers. And her father tells her, daughter, remember what I told you? If the prince do solicit you in that kind, you know your answer. As in, you know you're supposed to say yes, you're supposed to perform this role. Beatrice rails against that. She's very much like, but do you like him? And yeah, that's when she has her other her other pretty fun monologue about how she'll probably die an old maid. <laughs> no, that iconic where she's yes. like, you know, and then I'll go I'll go to hell with all the other bachelors and we'll just sit and be merry because No, she'll I'll go to hell first and then be cast out by the devil and then I'll go to heaven and sit with all the bachelors and be merry yeah, there. And be merry there. So she's very much not into the whole idea of marriage at all or mm-hmm. like even just courting men. It's yeah. not on her radar at all. Yeah. Even though there are all these men around, not just propositioned by Benedict in this story. she's She has all the options She there. has all the options. She is initially propositioned by Don Pedro. Who is the prince. Who is the prince. He is, arguably, he's the catch. Yeah. Don Pedro is my favorite bisexual in this whole story, <laughs> by the way. Um, <laughs> but we'll he, get to that. He genuinely, I feel like he genuinely loves, like, Beatrice. He genuinely thinks she's cool. He's yes. like, yeah, I'd love to, like, marry this gal. Unfortunately, her one lapse of judgment is liking Benedict. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. Um, who coincidentally is also my ex. I'll get into. I'll get into that later. Your ex? No, like I was just speaking now from oh, Don Pedro's perspective. Right. Yes. yes. So Beatrice, very much against marriage, very much against men. One of my other favorite rants is how she she goes on about like the qualities she would find like mm-hmm. like good in a man, and basically like when she lists them out, she's like, yeah, like he who has a beard is 
too much of a man or something like that. And he who doesn't have a beard, like, is a youth and not for me. So Mm -hmm. essentially, no one. (laughs) Like, no one. (laughs) Like, no one. Like, she kind of lists, like, these crazy conditions. She's just like, only under these circumstances... Would I, would I be in love with a man? Which is very, very complex. It's a very common thing that a lot of people, like friends of mine who are lesbians and also like friends of mine who are bi, have described like, oh, I would only be with a man if they come up with this criteria mm-hmm. because it's much easier to be like, oh, well, no one meets my criteria and that's why I'm not yep. with anyone. It's, it's better to be like, oh, I'm bad at heterosexuality mm-hmm. than to say that I'm not heterosexual. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So for me, that's what Beatrice's speech comes off at. It's like, it's, it's much easier for her to be like, oh, well, I just don't like anyone mm-hmm. than it is to actually be like, I'd rather be like with a woman or whatever. Because yeah. is And lesbian erasure is a big part of yes. compulsory heterosexuality. Yes. So. And isn't there that line where she says, only if the man like dressed up as a woman like would i be with a man <laughs> no it's not similar to that she's like what would i what would i do with a man like if i had a man i would like dress him <laughs> as a woman so hmm. yeah gender. gender gender i love beatrice like she's so fiery I, she's got the pottiest mouth oh of, my god yeah of um, she's the most forward i think of all of Shakespeare's female characters in the in the comedies. Yeah, she's just so smart and witty and, like, God, I wish that were me. I often feel like Much Ado is a nicer version of Taming of the Shrew. Yeah. Like, it's a much nicer version where the women do have more agency. Yeah. Like, when you read Taming of the Shrew, I think it's actually quite horrible what happens with those women and how the men manipulate them. But I like it in this story because I feel like Shakespeare, like, had a bit of a change of heart and was like, hmm, I could do this without the men being horrible and manipulating women. Instead, I'll, like, play tricks on the men too, so it's at least even in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of similarities for me, like, between Beatrice and, like, Katarina in Taming of the Shrew. I also feel like Beatrice is the blueprint for um, Lizzie Bennet from Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We're Which, big Pride and Prejudice fans. We're big Pride and, and Prejudice And we believe fans. that Jane Austen was a big Much Ado fan. But more importantly, not only do we believe it, but Miss Virginia Woolf herself yes. believes it um, and describes Austen uh, in her essay, which if you haven't read this essay and you're a woman in literature, I highly recommend you read A Room of One's Own because it is like essentially Virginia Woolf's treatment on like quote-unquote female literature. And mm. she describes Jane Austen as essentially like, the female Shakespeare. Mm. And one of the reasons she believes this is because uh, so many, there are so many Shakespearean beats in Jane Austen's work. And one of those major things is that you can very much see Beatrice and Benedict in Darcy and Lizzie. Like, yeah. I feel like Pride and Prejudice is just much ado, but without all, without all the tricking. Two people coming to realize, oh, maybe you're not so bad without <laughs> being tricked into it. <laughs> what we're trying to say yeah. is you can see these characters in a lot of places if you look. And I think that's why it's relevant to look at Shakespeare because his characters and what he created has been appropriated mm-hmm. quite a lot. But one thing that Beatrice does that yes. I love, is that she frequently slut shames Benedict. Yes. Because he is a bisexual disaster, where yeah. she is a functioning bisexual. I feel like the more obvious case of compulsory heterosexuality is, of course, the oppression of women in this play, but it does affect Ben too. And we yeah. do see this with Benedict and with Don John. They are both mocked extensively for being yes. bachelors. That is their goal kind of thing. Like, other than being soldiers and fighting in wars, like, their yes. other goal is to become part of this patriarchal system where they have wives and uphold this system. And uh, Benedict, much like Beatrice, doesn't really want to be a part of that no. very much. Like, he doesn't have any interest in it. He sees no point in it. He'd rather die a bachelor. Yeah. Then live as a married man. The sad thing is, I do feel like even though like Beatrice and Benedict, what they are saying is quite revolutionary, quote unquote, in yeah. one way you read it, it's worth acknowledging that I, because it's a comedy and because of the time it's written, I feel like it's more, we're meant to laugh at them for thinking that kind mm-hmm. of thing, which is kind of sad, but I think you can't joke about something without it being slightly serious. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like there's always a slice of truth. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Benedict is, uh, and I, I think he's by. And the reason he rails against the system is because he's like, I don't see why I got to do this. He hath every month a new sworn brother. You know, it's a it's a bad stereotype that bisexual people are sluts, but um. But sometimes bisexuals are sluts. 
And sometimes that bisexual is Benedict from, from yeah. Much Ado About Nothing. And Benedict... In fact, possibly the first time <laughs> a bisexual was a slut in a, in a piece of media. <laughs> was Benedict. Quite possibly. You know, in the first scene that... We don't even have... We haven't even met Benedict yet. We haven't yet. even met Benedict, but uh, Beatrice, she paints like quite a... Quite a slutty, slutty picture of him. And this is why I believe that David Tennant played him in the 2011 version. But yes, uh, Beatrice says... Oh, you know, he's a good soldier to a lady. What is he to a, a lord? So indeed, he is no he less than, than a stuffed man. man. But for the stuffing, well, <laughs> we are all mortal. Who is his companion now? He hath every month a new sworn brother. Is there no young squarer now that will take a voyage with him to, him to the, the devil? devil? I love Danielle Brooks' delivery of that one. Danielle Brooks does this monologue like better than most Beatrices, I think. Like yes. she, like I don't know why, but she was born to do yes, this monologue. And, um, she is excellent. And of course, none but libertines delight in him. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Call out post. <laughs> yeah, but I love that they're just. That Beatrice and Benedict, you know, despite this, they they are obsessed with each other they very really clearly. Are. And it's actually quite funny because before this, it's implied that they've never met. It's like, implied that they've never met. Like I remember in this very in this very scene, um, Leonardo talks like they never meet, but there's yeah. a there's oh, a merry it? war. There's a them. merry war betwixt them. The people act as if they've never met, but also like they very clearly have, and they very clearly have a reputation for the banter. Um, and we are given this piece of like we we're given this little nugget of a line. I think it actually describes most of what D ships. Like yes. it's the nugget of the it's the bare essential of, of most of, things that, of my ideal relationship dynamic in in fiction. Which is after they've had their first sort of like back and forth banter, he sort of basically cops out and is like, and uses like a cheap yeah uses like makes a, makes like a cheap joke makes a very cheap joke, and she's like, oh, you always. End with a Jade's trick. End with a Jade's trick. I know you of old. old. <sighs> Were they, you know, did they know each other of old? I think they did know each other of yeah. old. I think people think they haven't met, but I think mm. they have met. They very clearly have. Mm. I love that. I love it's that dynamic. Lot. It's a lot to You may remember about. from our Handmaiden episode, Mary asked me why I love it, and I said, I don't like romance. And I, that was like actually the first time I'd said anything like that. And I was surprised at myself. Yeah. We, we hit the, we managed to hit the nail on the head a bit later and realizing yeah. that I don't really like romance. I like the knowing. I like the intimacy of knowing and how that can manifest in things more interesting than romance. Yes. But sometimes it does manifest in romance, which yes. I quite like anyway. But you know, there needs to be that better element to it. I, I do agree. One of the other reasons you love this ship is because it's antagonistic. And yes. that's your other thing. <laughs> D loves like, you know, some people are like enemies to lovers. You're like, why can't they be enemies and lovers? Yes. <laughs> Just to be clear, not in like a Raylo sort of way. Oh, like with Raylo, there is no knowing. There There's is no, no understanding. Knowing. They there don't is know none each of that other. shit. They, they met like for like no. 10 minutes ago. And also like, like they can't be like total like polar opposites. No. They just they just need to be very similar people, but on different sides. Yes. More yeah, more like antagonists, not enemies. Yes. Like you can antagonize someone without them being your yeah. enemy. But yeah, so we've got Beatrice and Benedict, they are our mains. They mm -hmm. are both bisexual. They both know each other quite intimately through this banter mm -hmm. and through whatever we have not seen and do not get He lent his heart to me a while. Ooh shit. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there's another line later on where Beatrice says, Indeed, my lord, he lent it me a while and I gave him use for it, a double heart for his single one. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of indication that they were together at some point, mm -hmm. very briefly, but mm -hmm. then couldn't get their heads out their asses long enough to actually <laughs> to stay together. Yeah. Or maybe they were just too immature, which is which is a big call to make because I feel like these characters are very immature anyway. Yes. Um, but maybe the implication is that they were like when they were much younger, mm. they were together for a while, but they were too young, and yeah. then now they're coming together as mm, mature question mark adults. <laughs> but Beatrice and Benedict are not the only bisexuals. Yes, in as the story. I as I said, Don Pedro is my favorite bisexual in this story. He's he's my boy. 
He was um, played by Denzel Washington in the 93 yes. version, and I'm pretty sure Denzel's version of Don Pedro is the best. I really like him in that. Um, He's very flirty with both Benedict and Beatrice. Mm. I love him more in that kind of like he's... Even though even though he is made lonely by Beatrice and Benedict, who he's lost, he still strives for their happiness. The worst thing ever when your two crushes get married to each <laughs> other. It's like, ouch. Big ouch. <laughs> there is a lot of queer subsects in the in the 93 version by Kenneth Branagh. I do want to preface this by saying I despise Kenneth Branagh. Mm. Um, we, we... When I see him, it's on site. I'm very disappointed that we as a society somehow allowed Kenneth Branagh to have the monopoly on Shakespeare adaptations. Like, I hate that, like, most of the very recent popular adaptations are his. And now he's, like, he's also trying to get a monopoly on Agatha Christie, which I personally hate because I love Agatha Christie, but I Mm -hmm. hate him. It's like he wants to be Agatha Christie. He wants to be... Shakespeare and he wants to be Laurence Olivier. But I don't um, think I don't think he's good at any of these things. Do you know what I mean? Like you just because you want to be something doesn't mm-hmm. mean you're good at it. Mm-hmm. Um so in general I don't really like Kenneth Branagh's movies. I don't really like Much Ado. I'll I don't really like his Much Ado, but I'll get into that. Yeah, mostly I just really dislike that people like outside of academia and outside of the theater, like if they do want to get kind of a bearing of, you know, what Shakespeare's plays are like, they're going to watch his movies. And I hate that they're going to look at his interpretations and think that's that's not the the fault of the audience. Like it's much more accessible. It's so much easier to just yeah. watch a movie. But I hate that he's not the only one, but he's kind of the only. Also, he's all of his ones are very popularized as opposed to other people. He, he casts himself as the most interesting characters in most of his. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't have the charisma nor gravitas to play any of the characters no. he casts himself as. Like he play, casts himself to play as Iago in a in Othello, and I'm like, you really think you have the gravitas to play the most petty bitch in any like Shakespeare play? <laughs> like you really think you've got that? Like no. And no. then he cast himself as William Shakespeare in a biopic about Shakespeare that he made him that he wrote and directed himself as well. And he casts himself as Benedict in his own version of Much Ado, yes. as if he has the charisma to do that. Also, you know what? I will get into it now. He cast himself as Benedict. He cast his then wife, Emma Thompson, as Beatrice, who he cheated on. <laughs> he cheated on her, right? Do you know how painful it is for me to watch? I can't, I can't actually watch this Which movie. is why I feel like the 93 version, like, while it does, while I think it has, like, some fun characterization of other characters, but yeah, the film's exploration of misogyny and compulsory heterosexuality, like, it's not criticized to the point where it should be. I, I don't think we can expect that from the guy that cheated on Emma Thompson, but yeah. Can you imagine cheating on Emma Thompson? No, I can't, because even as a hypothetical, it sounds stupid. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, something that <laughs> something that his version does, there is a bit of quite a bit of queer coding in his version of Much Ado About Nothing. But it's more queer coding in the but sense that they just hate the, women. Yeah, it's more queer coding in the sense that they hate women and also that they're homophobic. Mm. You can see this in the costuming. My favorite shot is of when the prince and his men all assemble at the house for the first time. And you can see, even though they're wearing like the same white jackets together, they've got different pants on. So I feel like Don Pedro is like squarely in the middle and he's wearing blue leather pants to one side. He's got Benedict and Claudio and that other guy. And they're wearing blue pants, but they're like... And then on the other side, you have... Keanu and his posse. And Keanu he, played by Don John and his posse. Don John played by Keanu. Yeah, sorry, Don John <laughs> played by Keanu and and his etc. He's wearing black leather pants and it's like that's why I like I, I refer to this as the Kinsey scale shot because <laughs> because just of the fabrics used and you know leather you know is often subtextually used to imply homoeroticism mm. uh, thanks to. Uh, icon Tom of Finland. Yeah, I like that Don Pedro was like right in the middle wearing the blue leather to say that he's he's smack bang in the middle. He's smack bang in the middle of the Kinsey scale. Okay, I do want to say mm-hmm. with costuming actually, mm-hmm. and and how this play plays around with gender roles. Yes, uh, my favorite version of the party scene mm-hmm. of the is in the 2011 version where yeah. Beatrice and Benedict are actually in drags 
in yes. like drag. So David Tennant as Benedict is dressed in like a mini skirt for the party and like fishnet stockings and like I don't know what you call. He's got like, a wig like and a, a pig snout. A, a wig and a pig snout and sequined top and like boots, whatever. And then Catherine He's got some kinky boots on. And then the <laughs> Catherine Tate as Beatrice is wearing a suit. Yes, with some sunglasses yes. for the party. I don't know. I wish more versions like Without played. The decision with... most pleasing to me. She does um, sit like that. Yes, she sits like that for like a lot of her monologue scene, and it's like, how are we meant to think that she is straight in this scene when yeah. she's going on about how much she hates men while dressed like this, while sitting like this, while sitting with like her leg like rested up on on the arm of the armchair? <laughs> I I just love the idea of a butch Beatrice. Yes. Yes. She is very butch. Though. She is though. Yeah, I don't think a lot of the the ad- adaptions of this play play around with gender like as much. Adaptations of this play play around as much with gender as they should, considering what the content mm-hmm. of the play is. But I really like that that version like very much does in the costume. When you research queer subtext for this play or any kind of homoerotic subtext for this play, the the thing that comes up over and over again, the thing that people tend to fixate on, is Don John. The very quote unquote playing villain. He basically is the one that wants to put a stop to all this heterosexual nonsense going on around yeah. him. Uh, and the reason people think that he wants to do that is because he's gay, because we never really get a clear motivation as to why he wants to do any of this anyway. Mm-hmm. He seems to be on good terms with pretty much everybody. No one seems to treat him yeah. any people any are differently. People are quite nice to him, people but he's just nice. like, I am but a plain dealing vi- yeah. villain. Why? Because I just am. Yeah. Like, he's contrary for the sake of being contrary. He's all like, let me be that I am and seek not to alter me but dude no. but dude what's wrong like what, what's your motivation yeah. and he's just like because i'm gay yeah yeah a lot of people think that that is the yeah a lot that- of people think that that is the subtext the way a lot of adaptations and performances of the first scene of don john uh with his boys like the way that they deal with it a lot they contain a lot of homoerotic undertones and are often interrupted by news of heterosexuality for instance in the 93 kenneth Branagh version you have <laughs> You have Keanu Reeves looking the best that he's ever looked. Truly. (laughs) Truly. Unfortunately, looking the best that he's ever looked. He looks so good. Yeah, he's got his shirt off. He's being massaged by Conrad. I don't know. There's a a weird moment where, like, he's monologuing but also touching his face. And it's very, like, fellas. 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 Fellas, is it gay to monologue about how much you're a villain and touch... Yeah. Touch a man's face, you know, is it? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But then Baratio comes in and is like, yo, Claudio likes this chick. And the way that it's framed, it's like Don John and, and Conrad in this, in this private room of them being quite homoerotic together. It's been interrupted. Pillow talk plans. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's been interrupted. This kind of like utopia that he has just with his boys has been interrupted. And that's, that's the way that a lot of productions play that scene as kind of a way to suggest Don John's motivations. Often in a very homophobic way, I think. You kind of do see this mirrored with Benedict and the way that he talks about how much he doesn't want to be married. He just want to be he just wants to be with his boys too. Like there's an implication that you know Benedict could be like Don John. Yeah. But he's yeah. not because probably because somewhere deep down he does care for, yeah. for, for Beatrice. Yeah. And just needs a little bit of a push yeah. to not be a shit. <laughs> yeah. I don't really think it is fair to call Don John a villain, mostly because he doesn't really do anything. It's Baraccio that actually comes up with all the evil plans and he's kind of just like only to destroy Despite them, I will endeavor anything. So it feels like he's kind of just spiteful for the sake of being spiteful. Um, he was probably the first person to say, move, I'm gay. Mm. Uh, he's just he's just very petty and very unhappy with, with this heterosexuality you know, around him. And I so would he also, just I would also tries make, to stop it. I would also make an argument for, like, internalized homophobia. And he's yeah. just mad at how, like, Quite possibly. he's aware of his own, quote-unquote, failure as a man. Mm-hmm. And wants to just ruin everyone else's lives because he knows he can't change himself. So he can just make everyone else as unhappy as he is, which is quite possible. Um, I don't know. There's no way of knowing if that's what Shakespeare intended or if that's what it really is. But it is still, I think it's still Mm -hmm. worth acknowledging that it's a very common, like, interpretation of it. I don't think in the 2011 version it's that it's implied that much. He's just, it is. He's actually quite. I think it's a little bit there. 
I don't know. You still read it that way. I personally don't see it in that version. I I actually just think they played up the plain part of him being mm-hmm. a plain villain because he's so boring in that. Yeah. Part. Literally, whenever I rewatch it, I fast forward his scenes. Yeah, that's the thing. Another thing, because like Don John, as I said, he's not really the mastermind of any of these evil plans, but he wants to go through with them anyway. And I think, and the thing is, like his so-called evil plans are kind of just like often small lies to people getting everyone to erupt like that. And I think because that highlights that this play is very much about misogyny, stru- the structure of misogyny like in in, pe- in the patriarchy because all Don John needs to do is just tell like a small lie and suddenly Claudio, who who is apparently, who thinks that he's in love with, with Hera, will immediately be like, like jump at her throat. Like Don like, John plays on the fact that no people hate her. That no one will believe her and that and that people hate women anyway. There's already a distrust of women that exists enough that all he has yeah. to do is vaguely imply yeah. that Hero is unfaithful. Yeah. I do th- and the I do think as well, back. like this is another thing that like speaks the bisexual virtues, if you like, of Beatrice and, and Benedict, is that they don't believe it. Even Benedict at, like when he hears of this, he's like, What the no no? No. <laughs> he's like with no motivation really to do it. He's just sort of like that doesn't sound right whereas everyone else is like oh it must be true i saw it on the in the window so it must be true so yeah um and it is quite sad actually how they treat kiro as a result they they actually plan to humiliate her and that's almost a completely accepted thing her father even sort of half participates in it because he just believes them as well and i think it also speaks to like the precarious position that women, even when you are, like, in line to be married and are desirable in that way, like, how precarious it actually is. Yeah, and, like, kind of just also, like, what women are expected to be in the way that Hero is expected to be a maid and, like, the offences caused by the by the possibility of Hero not being, like, an untouched version when she marries, when she marries Claudio. Mm. But Shakespeare was looking to expose, like, how horrible that is and... <laughs> Things are set right by yes. the end, but yes. the middle is quite intense. Do you wanna do you wanna talk about like the the post failed wedding scene? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I didn't write this, but I thought I should mention. <laughs> I feel the real turning point of this play is after the the non wedding, after Claudio humiliates Hero mm. and casts her she, away. She gone girls him. What? She gone girl. Oh yeah, Hero does gone girl. This is the original gone girl, guys. (laughs) Beatrice and Benedict, they're both feeling pretty vulnerable. Beatrice has just seen her lovely cousin, who she loves very much, um, humiliated in front of all these stupid men that have come to her house. So at this point in the play, Beatrice and Benedict both believe that the other is in love with them but doesn't want to say anything. Mm -hmm. They are tricked into believing this. Neither of them have actually said anything of the sort. But they are tricked into it because their friends basically have fake conversations about yeah, how Yeah, Don they're... Pedro hatches this genius yeah. plan. See, I love my boy. Yeah. Like he He just wants his crushes to have like a he good just, life. He just wants the loves of his lives to, to be happy. Yeah. Even if that means without him. Ugh. I don't think they can't be without him. You know, yeah. we don't know. The thropple, we don't know. Thropples are valid. Um, <laughs> we don't know. Uh <laughs> But anyway, they're both feeling pretty vulnerable. So uh, Beatrice is like crying. She's not having a good time. And Benedict, because he's an absolute disaster, chooses this moment to be like, I do so love nothing in the world so much as you. It is, guys, this is the most tenderest, like, confession of love. And I don't think it matters what version you're watching. This is always, like, so cute. This mm-hmm. is always, like, just wow. But I think we can both agree that, like, the biggest energy, like, for this scene is in the 2011 version. Yes. With David Tennant and Catherine Tate. Uh, David Tennant is so awkward. and He just, like, shouts it. And then she just sort of, Catherine Tate as Beatrice is just, like, what? <laughs> he's like, it's not that strange. And she like screams and runs away she from just, him because she's just like, I cannot believe you. <laughs> I cannot like, believe <laughs> you would confess to me at a time like this. Yeah. What kind of animal? <laughs> what kind of idiot would do that? I mean, I'm just, I can't believe you would do that. And then after she's basically roasted him for, for doing that, she just goes, so I guess I should I should say that 
I do so love nothing in the world so much as you. And then they're both, because they're both such dorks, are like, uh-huh. they're like squealing and running around and yeah. they're very happy. I feel like this is one of my favorite love confession scenes because very much. A, it's like so simple. Yes. And it's like, it's what goes unsaid. Because actually it's quite funny because at this point they actually haven't said anything. Neither no. of them have said anything. They just think the other has said these things. So for it to just, all of it come out in just such a simple, lovely line, I do so love nothing in the world so much as you. It's just like so lovely. But what happens after? like one of my favorite things my favorite zero to 100 moments zero to 100 where beatrice is like oh so if you do love me um can you kill your best friend please for wronging my cousin yeah can you kill claudia and prove ben- to me it's real yeah and benedict is sort of like uh, uh are you sure like i don't quite want to do that <laughs> You know, I mean, he was my probably his ex boyfriend at yeah. some point. Who knows? Yeah, um, most probably. Um, he's just like, I would, I would, I would rather not. But at first, he's quite reluctant. At first, he's like, oh, I'd rather not. But then Beatrice is like, Well, then you don't love me, and he's like, Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. There's no need to to go that far. Um, yep. All the scenes that follow that are Beatrice and Benedict like being absolutely tender as hell and like just being just so lovely. I don't know. It's not that hard to play Beatrice and Benedict. Like, well, I think most versions like I've seen just do a really good job and Mm. the actors do a really good job. However, I just want to say one of my favorite tropes of all time. I love good forehead touch. I do. (laughs) And when I went to see Much Ado, there was a version of Much Ado that was on in Sydney. I was very excited. I was like, I have to go because I've never actually seen this play live. I love it, but I've never actually seen it live. I haven't yet. You will one day. Next time it's on anywhere, we'll go. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have to go. So I, I went with my, uh, I went with my cousin and we went together. And also I was low key very angry because after intermission, like a lot of people didn't come back. And I was like, the, the, the tastelessness, the tastelessness. But anyway, uh, during the, the scene that is after this between Beatrice and Benedict, where basically she comes to see him to be like, have you killed Claudia yet? Um, and he's like, no, we have exchanged some strong words though. <laughs> That's one of my favorite lines where, you know, Beatrice is basically being like, oh, I'm so depressed right now because my cousin is like, you know, it's meant to be dead and I'm meant to be sad, but I'm also happy because I'm kind of with you, but I shouldn't be happy because I'm sad and that's making me sad and blah, blah, blah. And he just sort of has like, like he says, serve God, love me and mend. And I like die every time I hear this line because I just think it's so tender and lovely. But when I was watching this particular play, they are like touching foreheads when they say this. And I was literally like. That is your shit. (gasps) I was literally like, oh my God. They just love each other so much. You know how you were saying before, like straw that broke the camel's back. Mm. It's kind of like. All they needed was someone to be like, actually, the reason you'll fight is because you like each other. And they were like, what? True. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds kind of fake, but actually it makes perfect sense. Yeah, I just think it's really lovely. But that love confession scene, every version of it is fantastic. The only version that I hate it is just in the 93 version, but that's because I'm like, I can't believe... I can't believe. Fuck you, Kenneth Branagh. You say Fuck this. You. I say this. You say this, Kenneth. But we all, we know that you don't. <laughs> it is my favorite scenes, and quite often when I need a serotonin boost for whatever reason, I will just go and watch Beatrice and Benedict scenes. But you have, I think, a much more. You think Hero is a lesbian? Oh yeah. Which I, which I is not an interpretation I have actually heard from you. Not really. You no, mean, not really. I, that was kind of just spur of the moment. It was like, why not? But actually, like, it does make a lot of sense. Please so, speak to the hero is a lesbian. In like, in, like, an ideal version of Much Ado About Nothing, like, you know, obviously, you know, Benedict and Beatrice, like, they set everyone right. Claudius, you know, begs forgiveness. No, Claudio, sorry. Claudio, <laughs> not Claudius. <laughs> That's a whole other bitch. That's a whole other bitch. <laughs> um, the best villain. No, he's not. Um, that's only because I'm a scar apologist. So. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Claudio, after being gone girled by a hero, expresses remorse. He's just like, oh, no, I should have, you know, actually asked what her what her side of the story was. 
I should have, I should have actually, I should have thunk. I should have actually, you know, had, you know, some basic communication skills. Also basic um, empathy for people. Mm -hmm. Mm. I shouldn't have like, you know, taken the word of, of this guy who's always frowning all the time and, (laughs) and is mean to everyone for no reason. Like, hate Claudio so much it's unreal (laughs) you know it's surprise like woo Hero is still alive the only reason that I like this scene of Hero and Claudio's wedding is because it's the scene where Benedict and Beatrice get exposed um as the fools in love that they are (laughs) but um yeah I would just like to say that Hero was a lesbian and you know her flirtation with like Claudio's like the first guy that's by her age who's really come into her life you know given her some attention and you know she's you know she's smitten at first and then you know they decide to they decide to marry quite quickly and um you know obviously she has this pressure from her father to become Claudio's bride so I just I just think you know Hero's you know a good example of of just a victim of compulsory heterosexuality because she's with this man who was like you know very ready to just like kill her honestly Um, and he like he is violent with her yes he is quite violent and a lot of that in a lot of productions of it he is quite violent to her and she and you know it's kind of like oh you know he realized the errors of his ways he's okay if i were to adapt much ado i would i would change the ending where hero doesn't accept claudio's apology because he was nothing but horrible to her let her be a lesbian just for fun is it a bad time to tell you that that production i saw in sydney actually did do that what <laughs> and i missed it yeah no they play that scene exactly the same except they don't get married and she's just like no i'm not going to marry you yeah, I'm sorry. I am Boo-Boo the Fool. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. And I actually was, like, so shocked to watch it. I was like, whoa, whoa, the drama. <laughs> I was like, this is such a more... This is so... Whenever I watch any version of What You Do, like, that's, you know, as much as I love Beatrice and Benedict, I'm still very, like, scared for Hero oh, at the yeah. end of it. Yeah. And, oh, man, I should have gone to see that for... <laughs> And this is also, I think... <laughs> I was poor. <laughs> yeah, I know, I'm sorry. Next time, next time. Um, uh-huh. But also I think it's worth mentioning as well, like, with the Pride and Prejudice connection. Mm. I do feel like <laughs> when Jane Austen, like, let's imagine Miss Austen sitting reading Much Ado, yeah. she was like, I don't see any reason why this poor hero girl has to go through this. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just going to, like, she can just have a... That, I'm going to call her Jane. <laughs> <laughs> Because everyone loves because her. Because everyone loves her and she's going to have a wonderful life. <laughs> and she's just going to have a nice romance with a nice man who uh, is going to just think that she's she's great. I really appreciate Miss Austin for just being like, this play is nice. Um, I'm just going to take all the... I have some notes. I have some notes, Mr. Spear. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I really do believe that Pride and Prejudice is just much ado without all the horribleness and the lying. Without too much deceit. No, yeah. Actually, most of the deceit is quite the only deceit. Where the, where the, ooh, yeah. But also where the deceit is actually, it's mostly actually just not deceit. It's mm-hmm. just like, you never mm-hmm. asked. Like, it's yeah. literally like, if you had asked, I would have told you. Pride and Prejudice is much ado if Don John was straight. And a menace. And, <laughs> if Don yeah. John was, <laughs> yeah, was a heterosexual menace. Yes, essentially. If I were to make my own version of Much Ado, mm-hmm. I think also making here like taking the hero Claudio thing out also elevates Benedict and Beatrice to the main romance, which is what they should be anyway. I mean, mm-hmm. most people interpret them as, but it's because it happens so much around yeah. Hero and Claudio. You get the feeling you're meant they're to just care the backdrop. Yeah, they're, they're actually meant. It's weird that they're meant to be kind of. The, the backdrop and like mm-hmm. Hero and Claudio is meant to be the main drama but I can't tell you how much I don't care about Hero and Claudio like what happens to her is horrible and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm here for like I'm here for her like I'm like oh this shouldn't happen to her but at the same time I'm like 
this romance is so much less satisfying than, than than Benedict and Beatrice. And so in my version, I probably would get rid of, like, Hero. And I would just have Beatrice be like, hey, you should fake your death to make him feel like shit and then not marry him. Also, I love the idea of just gender bending everyone because I always love a good gender bend. It would just prove the point that the uh, institution on both sides is, like, really bad and... Compet for both sides is like horrible. Oh, I want to briefly talk about costuming in the 2019 version as well because you were oh. saying how much you love the uniformity yet individuality of yes. oh, in the in the Brenner version. I think that twi- no, not in the Brenner version. But I was saying like I just love that concept in general and yeah, everything. Yeah, Warrior but, is a really good show that does that. But, yeah. Um, yeah, but in the 2019 version, um, the soldiers' uniforms yes. like are so cool. It's it's uniform, like they have this beautiful like red coat, but everyone's like undershirts are slightly different. Or they have like different accents around their arms. Mm. And I and I love the detail of that. I think it's also important because these characters are all different people. But can we talk about like the best scene? The most comedic scene in this play is absolutely when Beatrice and Benedict are listening to their friends mm. talk about how the other has feelings for them. Yes. And, again, this is one of those things that, like, I feel like if you do this wrong, you are a completely incompetent storyteller. Like, it has to be funny. Like, they don't realise while they're listening to their friends that their friends are deliberately saying this because they know that they're there. Mm -hmm. But they're trying to hide Mm -hmm. from their friends because they can hear them talking about them. And they're like, whoa. I love the David Tennant and Catherine Tate version. I think the like Benedict it's listening is is so creative and it's so funny. Um, so he he gets his hands on some white paint. How does how does he even? Oh, because there are some guys painting a wall. Yeah, and he like leans against, yeah. like puts his hand in the paint bucket yep. when he overhears that Beatrice is in love with him, and he's just yep. like, "What?" And then like and he's going around looking for a place to wipe his hand while also you know still listening. And then when he does hear that Beatrice is in love with him, he just like strikes his hand on his face <laughs> and leaves like paint everywhere. <laughs> everywhere and then like in his monologue afterwards like he's still doing it he's like she loves me why (laughs) and then uh again in that one the Beatrice one is also very creative she gets hoisted up by the by the painters like in a harness and is like sort of flying above them as they have a uh, very real, very real, and not at all fake conversation about mm-hmm. Beatrice. Sorry, Benedict being in love with her. I do remember that in the Joss Whedon version, this is quite funny. The Benedict one is quite funny just because they're actually sitting out in the open, like on mm-hmm. an open, like yard. Oh, There's okay. nothing to hide behind, but Benedict like thinks just by like laying flat on the <laughs> grass. <laughs> I don't remember how they do this scene in the Brenner version. It must have been that funny. In the Brenner version, it's just like the usual hiding behind hedges kind of thing. Oh, yeah. The main thing to know about Kenneth Branagh Shakespeare adaptations is he just does the most boring shit mm-hmm. imaginable. But, you know, occasionally he makes some really very weird interpretations that are quite bad. In the Central Park version, In the though, Central Park version, I love how Daniel Brooks is, like, hiding amongst the audience. Yes. And she gets, like, she takes a woman's seat and that woman sits in her lap. <laughs> God, I wish that were me. But she also, like, grabs the playbill and is, like, hiding behind the playbill. And what I love as well is that while they're talking, like, about how Benedict feels about her, like, she's sitting there going, that's right. <laughs> she's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so good. Um, and also I love, like, Benedict in that one because he is, he's, like, dancing <laughs> behind the bush as well and he's just – He's so obviously in their line of sight <laughs> and it's so obvious that they can see him. What I really love about them is uh, whether it's intentional or not, I don't know, but they're actually laughing at him Yeah. like while they're talking. I don't know if that's actually like the actor's just breaking character because what he's doing is so funny or whether or not. No, I don't know. I think it would be also be in character to still, because you, you know, when you can obviously see your friend, but also like. You've got to pretend like you can't yes. see your friend. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite funny. Also, the Benedict in the Central Park version, he's so He's yeah. a very handsome man. Grantham Coleman. Mm. Love him. He's also, apparently, he's like a big Shakespearean actor. Like, he he does a lot. And his version of Hamlet, I read, like, a really interesting essay that compared, like, not essay, but, like, an interview. They interviewed Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac? I, think I don't know if they interviewed him. They they compared they Oscar can, Isaac, uh, Andrew Scott's Hamlet, and Grantham and, Coleman's. And his Hamlet. And it was very interesting what they wrote about his. So, yeah, ideally, in my ideal version of Much Ado... You know, where 
Hera was a lesbian. Uh, Beatrice is very butch. I would like some explicit representations of bisexuality. Oh, yeah, for love, sure. I would love, you know, like maybe a little bit more background of the history between Beatrice Bennett and Don Pedro as well. For instance, if I was making like a mini series of Much Ado About Nothing, I would have just like a period where Beatrice does date Don Pedro just for me. <laughs> you would. <laughs> That's your other favourite ship trope, is, like, the people who met at the wrong time. Yes. Yes. Anything else for your ideal version of Much Ado? I think David Tennant is a very good Benedict. Of all, and I've seen David Tennant do a lot of Shakespeare, but that's the performance where I'm like, yep, this is your equivalent. (laughs) This is who you're meant to play. And I just really, I don't know. In my version, if it wasn't gender bent, I would get him to play Benedict because mm. I just think seeing him play Benedict is like an absolute delight. But yeah, also, same as yours, I would do something a bit more explicit. I also, and this is a strange thing, but I don't know, I think it was back in like 2012, there was a, a vlog series called The Lizzie Bennett Diaries, and it was essentially Pride and Prejudice, like as a series of vlogs. From oh, Elizabeth, I do remember this. From Lizzie's point of view. I never watched them, but yeah. Yeah, I, I, I watched them. I thought they were fun. <laughs> they were quite good. Um, and I would love to do something like that. Like, I would love to do, like, the Messina vlogs or something, and it would be, like, all the characters just, like, monologuing and telling what's happening. Because um, I actually think that's a very fun format to play. Much to do shot Fleabag style. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, There's also that guy on... YouTube who does Hamlet like as a vlog series. Yes. And he's doing quite well. I forget his name. We'll so, link him on Gaby Club. Yeah, we'll link him on Gaby Club. I love his like channel. It's quite fun. He just uploads like I love his to die to sleep. Yes. <laughs> he's just like, walking hmm, just going around laying on my bed here. Yep. To sleep. Uh, might fuck around and you know, sleep perchance to dream later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so I would love to do something like that. I know, like, I feel like that trend has passed of, like, doing things as, like, vlogs. But mm. I don't know. I still think it's a fun thing to play with if you do it right. Other than that, I just think that Beatrice and Benedict is a very fun dynamic. But I think a lot of people who try to adapt it uh, just interpret it as two people who, like, hate each other which is not really what it is it's more just two people that don't want to get married and don't want to be involved with each other Mm -hmm. at all but need to be prompted to to realize that they they might want that thing if they considered it with each other i think you know when people think that beatrice and benedict is a hate love which is something that i i don't really agree with whenever i've read it i'm like these people do not hate each other like they they don't they think each other is ridiculous, but yeah. they don't hate each other. And you wonder, like, that probably all started because one of them started, like, making fun of the other. And it was like, oh, you're going to make fun of me? I'll make fun of you. And mm-hmm. it's, I feel like it's all pretty empty. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty empty pettiness. Like, they yeah. just sort it's of... It's just for clout. It's just, yeah. It's also almost like a habit. Like, the, yeah. like, the way they talk about it, like, oh, we've always done it. Why stop? Why stop? <laughs> Mm. Two of my favorite Shakespearean characters and probably my favorite romance in Shakespeare, aside from Ophelia and Hamlet. You but think Ophelia and Hamlet is a... Mm, is I a, don't mean... You know how you said, like, it's not... Like, sometimes you don't think of things as romance. It's just, like... It's just it's an the, intimacy. It's, yeah. Eventually, we will do a Shakespeare episode on Hamlet, and I'm gonna... It's gonna be my time. She's gonna have a lot um, to say. Like, I'm obsessed with Hamlet. The thing you, I'm writing right now is is an adaptation of Hamlet. You have many legally acquired versions of Hamlet. Very many. I keep a skull in my room. I have like a plaster skull in my room. Even if it's not a particularly Hamlet monologue, doing the Lady Macbeth monologue with a skull is amazing. It just feels great. When I was um, teaching, I had to help Mark, because the day I was there was actually U10's drama exams, Uh and I had to help Mark because they had to do them on that day, and so I had to be... Like, help Mark. It was pretty intense to be just be called mm-hmm. up. You have to come in. I was like, oh, no. Um, but one of the things I had to do was um, a monologue from Macbeth, where Macbeth is going on about how Lady Macbeth died. And one boy set up, like, blocks. You know those grey blocks you yeah. have? He set up three blocks, and he did his whole monologue where he's, like, he's, like, looking at the blocks like that is Lady Macbeth lying there dead. Oh. And then when he finished, like, when, like, because I had to hit, like, a little buzzer to let yeah. them know that... <laughs> 
And he looked up and was like, he was like, miss. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, did you get that this was the chick? <laughs> I was like, oh, I, I got that. And he was like, but did you get it? Like, that she was dead? Like, the chick? And I was like, I did get that the, the chick was dead. I, I got that. That's what this monologue is about. <laughs> But just as a general thing, I never used to like Shakespeare when I was a teenager. I just want to mm. mention this because I feel like it's important. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't born into this world liking Shakespeare. I actually hated Shakespeare for a long I time. I hate studying Shakespeare in high school. High school um, destroys it. High school does destroy it. I think it is worth, if you hate Shakespeare because you studied it in high school, if you genuinely don't like the story, that's fine. Like, yeah. But if you don't like it because you studied it, there's a good chance that you were just taught it wrong and that no one mm. taught you to like really read it properly or no one taught you to have fun with it no yeah. one taught you that you could interpret it in other ways in queer ways if you wanted to but also in other ways yeah um because i feel like you know it's it's much easier to teach a very rigid a very rigid straightforward version of a play you know at high school level first of all like a couple of things like number one if you're reading shakespeare don't read to the lines because that's just it doesn't mean anything read to the punctuation like you would with anything else i feel the need to say this because a lot of people don't actually know to do that yeah. and um second of all like shakespeare isn't really meant to be read like i know i just yeah. gave you a reading tip but it's not really meant to be read so if you have to study shakespeare i don't know if we have anyone here who's like school age that listens to this podcast or even if you're studying it at uni yeah um it is way better if you find a way to go and see it yeah. it is so much easier to understand i i'm like when you're in school if you, especially if you go to a like low lower funded school like i did that you don't get a lot of opportunities to go mm. and see Shakespeare, so it can be very hard to understand it. But you know, go and find a movie, and you can watch a lot of. You can actually watch a lot of fun, like amateur, like productions yeah. of Shakespeare on YouTube that you know have a decent go and can actually make it quite funny. Yeah, you um, can actually find the David Tennant Much Ado version on YouTube. On YouTube. So please check that out. The I, serotonin. Oh, it's wow. From that version is it's it's insane. It's You've amazing. Actually, you actually feel high after you. <laughs> finish watching it like my yeah, face hurts from smiling yeah. um, want to put that out there i didn't like shakespeare for a lot of years like not till i got to yeah. university and i was actually taught how to read it properly and i'd actually had an opportunity to see mm-hmm. shakespeare and i actually went oh this is why people like it because it is fun and it is like crazy and it is dramatic when you're reading it it can be very hard to see yeah like what everything is all about and especially i think that a lot of shakespeare is very complicated to understand when you're 13 14 yeah. 15 and the way that also another reason the way that they teach that is because so much of it actually has to be censored because it's not for people of that age one of the things i do when i am teaching shakespeare is i i actually look up like the dirty jokes in a play and i'll be like so you guys think this is boring and they'll be like yep and i'll be like look at this (laughs) and you'd be surprised how quickly people will get involved if they know that there's dirty jokes yeah (laughs) um so and then it becomes kind of like a game it does it does much Ado About Nothing, I really do think it is one of the most accessible Shakespeare plays. I do think, like, most people, like, if you're learning Shakespeare, this is, like, or want to get into Shakespeare, it's a yeah. great place to start um, because it is just... It's very straightforward. There's mm-hmm. there's not a huge amount of reinterpretation that you need. I mean, like, it can, it can be interpreted in many different ways, but it's really can only be understood in one way, I think. Yeah, because it's, yeah. it is actually a very basic rom-com plot. Yeah. A very basic rom-com. Like it's it, the blueprint for the modern the rom-com. Unfortunately, a lot of rom-coms don't use this blueprint, but it is a very basic, very good blueprint. So, yeah, I do think Much Ado About Nothing is very much underappreciated in that way, mm-hmm. um, that it is just a very simply good story. Feel Like, feel good, yeah. quote-unquote. I mean, you know, we, we can debate about the ending whether or not it actually yeah. is a nice ending but it for does. the for the most part with Beatrice and Benedict it's a very feel-good story yeah I wish there was more for Much Ado it's my favorite Shakespeare play but there's honestly not a lot about it probably because of how straightforward it is like Hamlet has so much like yes in terms of academia in terms of adaptation yeah looking up academia for this like queer academia for this was unfortunately yeah and quite limiting quite limited but i did actually find in studying there's a lot of people who have done very cool basically beatrice and benedict like are the same gender and basically have yes. like uh 
queered the whole thing, mm-hmm. um, which I really love that, like, so many amateur productions do do that. Yeah. I feel like it's also, like, much ado is the play that you can have the most fun with mm. how you interpret the characters. I always find it quite interesting. I think Beatrice And is... the comedic scenarios, because oh. there are so many, there's so much opportunity, not just with them, you know, sneaking around their friends, but also, like, the party scene. Yes! Um... Oh, the party scene when when you can tell a version hasn't really thought about it much beyond it just being a party. Like, it's so boring. Yeah. The Joss Whedon one is like that. I'm like, yep, that's a party. Like, could be anything. Could be a murder mystery party. Yes. Yes. Why has no one done that yet? I'll do it. Yes. I'll do it. You'll do it. (laughs) Also, just as a last point, I have a real issue when uh, if someone is, like, charging you, don't you don't actually have to buy anything Shakespeare. Like, no. you don't have to go out and buy a Shakespeare book or anything because Shakespeare has never been copyrighted. It's never, like, you know, you shouldn't need to pay for it. You can access everything online. Like, as a text. As a text. Um, obviously, it's performances different. Performances are different. Obviously, if you, it's different if you want performances. If you just want to read Much Ado, you don't need to buy it. Google it. It'll be there. MIT has a whole document for it actually yep that we've been referring off to as we're recording so pretty much yeah yeah Yeah. that's i mean i could talk about this play all day because i do love it but Mm -hmm. but yeah that's our that's our episode that's our first shakespeare episode yes Um, next episode is going to be the last episode of this volume uh working title for it is should we be sad and i kind of just want to look at representations of gay sadness Mm. in me in various media and whether we deserve that or not. It'll be interesting. It'll be a bit of a debate. But if you enjoyed this episode, um, please like, subscribe, do all the things. You can find us on um, all the on all the socials, on Instagram and Twitter as gayv underscore club. Um, you can find the links to DNI's personal socials there as well. Um, feel free to shoot us a direct message or, you know, add us with what you want to see in the future. We're always down to um, have suggestions chucked at us um, from great heights. There have been some good suggestions already. There have been. Thank um, you to people who responded to our call out on Twitter for suggestions. Yeah, so we're, we're already planning some of them for the next volume, yep, so which I'm very excited thank about. You. Thank you to those, uh, to those t- tweeterers. Yes, and as per usual, be safe. Watch something nice. Bye. Bye.